I'm going to invite you this morning that you would open your Bible with me to the epistle, the book of Philippians chapter 4, and this morning we come to the conclusion of this little epistle, the epistle of joy, where Paul is teaching us how to have joy in spite of circumstances. And he gives us several models, including the attitude and the mind of Christ through this book. But we're going to pick up in verse 13 of chapter 4, where we left off last week. And here Paul has taught us the secret of learning contentment. We're cultivating joy through a life of contentment and a life of generosity. How can we have joy even through our circumstances, through our situations, through trials right now that maybe you came in caring. Well, I want you to know this. You can have joy in spite of all of that through a life of contentment and a life of generosity. Now, he said last week in verses 10 to 13 that our contentment is found in knowing that God is in control. Our contentment is knowing in spite of what's taking place around us is that God is in charge of the outcome. That God is in charge of the results. That He is in control. That God's plan is at work. God's power is at work. God's provision is at work in our lives. And as we learn this contentment, notice what comes with it. The peace of God. When you learn truly to be content, notice what comes into your life is the peace of God. And then He says this, but I'm sustained by the power of God. Not only am I secure by God's provision, not only am I satisfied by His providence, but then I'm sustained, I'm held up, I'm secure, I find my strength by God's power. And today I want you to now ask the Lord, Lord, fill me with Your power, because He says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does that mean? That when we come to the end of our resources, we're sustained by the power of God. What it says, He strengthens me, it means that I am strong, I can do all things when God puts His power in us. Now Paul had been through the desert, he had been through the valley of the shadow of death, and he saw God's power every time. So he's saying, I can go through every situation through the strength that comes from God. I can accept the good and the bad because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God met him there in every single moment. And the same is for us. Maybe right now you find yourself in a place where you can't eliminate conflict on your own. When you can't solve the problem in your marriage right now on your own, you say, I can't do it in my own strength. You're, you're crying out for your kids right now. Or maybe you can't change the work environment that you work in right now or the sickness that your body has to go through right now. And you're saying, how can I bear this in my own strength? Well, here Paul says, in every trial, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I want you to know something this morning, that the Christian life is not a life that we live by ourselves, in our own power. But it's also not a life in where we are excused and Christ does everything. You know what it is? It's a relationship. And what that means is that we surrender our will to His power. Today, remember that. You surrender your will to His power, and then His power works in you, and then His power works through you. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I have surrendered my will to His power working in me. And this is exactly how he's learning contentment, finding his strength in the Lord. 
Now notice, his contentment was finding strength in the Lord, but also seeking the profit of other people. He wasn't thinking about himself. And, and we see that through this epistle here, that contentment belongs to those who are seeking the well-being of others. If, if you're always thinking about yourself, if you live for yourself, you'll never be content. Because you won't be satisfied as to how things don't turn out according to your plans and expectations. And here what Paul is saying here is that contentment begins to be a reality when we have little concern as to how it is with ourselves and our primary concern is how it is with other people. So he's cultivating joy through contentment as he seeks the profit of others, but also through generosity. And that's why today we look at the word generosity. You know, I heard a story of a preacher that went to preach Sunday morning at his church, and he told the church very boldly on Sunday morning, God wants this church to walk. And the church responded, let it walk, preacher, let it walk. And he says, well, no, God wants this church to run. And the church responded, well, let it run, preacher, let it run. He says, no, no, God wants this church to fly. And they said, well, let it fly, preacher, let it fly. And then he said, if this church flies, it's going to take some money. And then they said, well, let it walk, preacher, let it walk. <laughs> we don't like talking about giving at church. We don't like talking about generosity. But if you're going to cultivate joy in your life, it's going to come through two things, contentment and generosity. And today we focus on that, on generosity. Did you know that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in those Gospels, it's estimated that one out of six verses, every six verses, it's dealing with money and stewardship? Or how about this? Out of the 29 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them deal with the person and their stewardship and their possessions. In Scripture, there, there are 500 verses that deal with prayer. Think about that in the Bible. Fewer than 200 verses that deal with faith, but over 2,000 verses that deal with stewardship, possessions, and money. Jesus talks more about possessions than he does about any other thing in his teachings. Why? Because it is a revelation of where your heart is. I want you to know that your possessions, your finances, your money is a revelation of where your heart is. So I pray that hey, you don't check out. You don't pretend, well, you know what? They're asking for money at church again. No, don't, don't, don't think that. That's too easy to think. Don't assume that. In fact, we're teaching God's word. And now we pray, Lord, would you help us respond to what you're saying? There was a man that was so disgusted by how the church announced the tithe as an offering before they prayed for it that when the tithe bucket came by his row, instead of putting in what he was going to put in, he actually took out for when it passed by. <laughs> now, don't do that, please. <laughs> but we must have the right attitude when it comes to generosity. And I want you to know this before we begin, as we look at the text, giving is an act of worship. Would you write that down today? Giving is an act of worship. You don't leave, please, without knowing that. That your giving today is not only an act of your maturity, it's an act of your obedience, but it's an act of worship unto the Lord. So he's seeking the profit of others. And he seeks the profit of others by first recognizing their generosity. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. 
and that we would read together Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 to verse 23. We'll read a few verses here from verses 13 to 23, and I encourage you to read out loud, strong together. I'll read the odd verses, and you read the even verses. It says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with you. With me greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We ask, Lord, that your grace should be with us all. Amen. That because of your grace, your generous grace towards us, we would respond in generosity. Lord, when it comes to our giving, when it comes to our life, when it comes to others, that as freely we have received, freely we would give. Lord, stir our hearts, convict us today in this area. Lord, I pray that you would stir our obedience, Lord, to you, that you would test us. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, amen. You may be seated. So we see here that Paul, as he is learning contentment, he teaches us that contentment and joy also cultivates generosity. And here he says in verse 14, Nevertheless, I have done, you have done well that you shared in my distress. After he's already said, I know how to be abound and I know how to abase. After he's already explained to them, I know how to be full and how to be empty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He then commends their generosity. He says, even so. And he rejoices in five things. I want to give you all five. The first one is this. He rejoices in their present gift. Would you note that? He rejoices in their present gift. He says this. You have done well in that you have shared in my distress. He's commending them. He's acknowledging them. You've done good. You've done something very beautiful. You've done something very noble in your generosity. Think about that. You, you've done well because your giving is a reflection of your character. Note that today. Your giving is a reflection of your character. You have done something that is very attractive when it comes to morally. You've done something morally attractive. Notice, godly giving actually does better for the giver than it does for the receiver. Paul said that in Acts chapter 20, he said, what? It is more blessed to give than what? To receive. I remember when I was 16 years old, I started leading worship, just learning a couple songs in the Calvary Ch Chapel Church that I was at. And I was 16 years old, leading in the sanctuary and after service, I always had a brother that came up to me and told me that. He would shake my hand, encourage me, thank you for 
just stepping out in faith and said, it's better to give than to receive, shake my hand. And, and, and one week he, he put $20 in my hand. I was 16 years old. I was like, what? No way. Walked away. I was so happy as ever. The next week he came up to me again. He said, you know what? I want to encourage you. You're serving the Lord. He did the same thing. Shook my hand. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Put another $20 in my hand and walked away. I was like, I can't believe this. The third week, actually, I went looking for him after service. Where is this guy at? <laughs> but it is more blessed to give than to receive. Would you tell that to your neighbor right now? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And notice what he says. You've done it well. You've done a good job at it. Not only have you given, you know how to give well. See, there's a difference there. Not only do you know how to give, but you know how to give well. You do it in a, such an attractive way in that you shared. Notice the word shared there in verse 14. It means to join in participation. You've done well. You've done a good job at it in that you participated with someone else. To share means to fellowship. To share means when you communicate. You've done well in that you have communicated with me in my distress. In fact, what he's saying is that in my hour of difficulty, in my hour of affliction, in my hour of need, not only did you care, you had compassion, you carried burdens. Together with me, you contributed. This is what it looks like to be a church on mission. Notice, when a church is on mission, it means that some are goers, others are senders when they give, but all, all, everyone, all of us together, were partners. And this is what he's saying. You have partnered with me in my hour of need. When I was in need, you gave. You knew I had a need. You met that need. And he's giving a clarification that he's grateful for their generosity in spite or given what he had just said. He already said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know how to be content. He's not disregarding their gift. He's saying, I'm thankful that you have given. Paul knew that God through the generosity of the Philippian church, was supplying for his needs. That he was using them and their giving to supply for his needs. And you know what he does? He's thankful for their participation. This is what he's saying. I'm thankful for your participation. I want to say this. I'm thankful for your participation, Calvary Chapel Downey. That because you faithfully give, we're able to support many missionaries all around the world. Can we praise God for that? And you know what he says? I have a thankful and a joyful attitude about it. I'm thankful that you've been giving. I'm joyful about it. I want you to know something this morning. If you came and you're saying, well, we're talking about giving at church. I don't like it. when we speak on giving. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, know this. Giving is a part of your Christian life. And you cannot pick and choose what you like about your Christian life. It is in Scripture. It's in the Bible. It's how we mature it's how we develop. It's a sign of maturity. Because when we give, you know what we're saying? Lord, we trust you. We surrender to you. We're giving away of our selfishness, of ourselves, depending upon you and not what we have. So he rejoices in their present gift. Notice, you have done well in that you have met me in the hour of my affliction. But number two, he rejoiced in their past gift. Not only in their present gift, but in their past gift. Notice what he says in verse 15 and 16. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. 
What he says here is, I want you to know that I remember that you stood out when you gave well initially. You see, the Philippian church was a church that demonstrated initiative. And he says, as you know, in the beginning. I would encourage you to write that, circle that in your Bible, maybe in the beginning. Because he's speaking of, in the beginning of the gospel, when he began preaching, when he began his ministry, the Philippians were the only ones who contributed, who gave financially this, this small church, this poor church. This church had very limited resources. But they were known for their sacrificial generosity. And you very well know, Philippians, that when I began in ministry, you met my needs that no other church shared, no other church communicated, no other church participated with me concerning giving or receiving, only you. And he uses this relationship of giving or receiving because he's talking about both of them, both Paul and the church of Philippians. One was giving of material needs. The other was giving of the spiritual gifts. Paul investing them in them spiritually. But he also uses three business terms in this verse, verse 15. You know what he uses? He says concerning. Giving and receiving. The word concerning is a word that means accounts. It's an accounting term. So he says, no one else shared with me when it came to accounting. And then giving and receiving translates to expenditures and receipts. You love how Paul here speaks of his accountability. He was a faithful steward of God's resources, and he really kept careful accounts on what he received and what he expensed. No other church shared with me concerning or on the account of expenditures and receipts. And he noticed, he says in verse 16, but it was only you, verse 15. And then he continues, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now, as you look at their past giving, you can notice that they gave from the beginning, and then in verse 16, even in Thessalonica. This is interesting because he's rejoicing and how they were not only standing out in their initiative in the beginning, but also even in Thessalonica. They gave immediately, and then they gave repeatedly. Do you notice that? He says, when I began ministry, you gave to me. And then when I went to Thessalonica, you continued to give. You gave immediately, and then you gave repeatedly. They continued to partner with Paul, both early and enduring in the ministry. Their generosity overflowed. In fact, Paul had gone to Thessalonica. He was there for a few months in his missionary journey, and he's remembering not only when I was in Macedonia, but also on my second missionary journey to Thessalonica, you gave there as well. You sent aid, notice, once and again for my necessities. What does that mean? That when he was in Thessalonica, they, they didn't only give one time. It said you gave one time, and then you gave again. You sent more than one time to me. You gave generously to the ministry, not only once, but again for my necessities. So the Macedonian church was a church that gave consistently, was a church that gave faithfully. Through the ups and downs of the course of ministry, they were not one-time givers. Now I want you to pay attention to that because right now the Word of God is speaking to us that we would not be one-time givers. That we would give immediately and that also we would give repeatedly. That our giving would be early, and that our giving would be enduring. 
They would be faithful, consistent givers. Notice what they were. They didn't just give one time and say, you know what, I already gave. I don't have to give again. <laughs> well, our giving, we must know this. It's not simply to the name of a church. Our giving is unto the Lord. You know, I heard a recent study that said through a survey that most people that go to church, in fact, out of people that go to church regularly, only 17% of them say that they regularly give to their church. 17% of people who go to church say, I give faithfully to my church. This is what 17% of people say. The fact of the matter is only 3% actually do. <laughs> and it's so important for us to realize, even as we look at the church of Macedonia, of Philippi, that ask yourself this, if everyone in the church gave the way that you did, both at church and outside of church, would we be a giving church? Here, the church in Macedonia was one that was saying they gave early, they gave enduring, they gave in the beginning, they gave consistently. There's an attitude of generosity in them. And Paul told the church of Corinth the same thing because they were known to be a carnal church. And notice, he describes to them, you must have an attitude of generosity, church. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, would you note this? He says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Give between you and God in your heart, not grudgingly or not out of necessity. Don't give with a bad attitude or don't give out of pressure. This is what he says. For God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a hilarious giver. What does that mean? That, that's the attitude that God wants us to have when we give, a, a hilarious attitude. What does it mean to have, have a hilarious attitude, a, a cheerful attitude, that when we give, we give it joyfully, that we can't wait to give, that we, we find it a, a privilege to give unto the Lord, that God loves when we give with a joyful attitude, that we don't say, oh my gosh, I have to give. Here we go again. Or, or, or pretending that, that we don't see that this is an opportunity for us to respond in our giving and our worship to the Lord. No, we shouldn't make the most of the opportunity to give to the Lord. And he says this, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As you give joyfully, notice God's grace will abound towards you and meet every single one of your needs. As you faithfully give to the Lord, he's rejoicing in their past gift. He rejoiced in their present gift. He rejoiced in their past gift. But he's also rejoicing over their fruitful reward. Number three, rejoicing over their fruitful reward. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, I'm not telling you this so that you think that I want money, Paul is saying. I'm not saying this so that you think I want to receive a collection for the missionary work that I'm doing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying this because I need a gift. I'm not saying because I'm trying to pressure you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. No, notice Paul always trusted simply in the Lord to meet all of his needs in the ministry. It's so awesome in Calvary Chapel, that's the same heartbeat. That it's not about asking for money. You know what it is? It's about us giving to the Lord. We know that this is God's ministry. Where God guides, God provides. That he will supply all the needs as we put him first. And he says, I'm not asking for gift. In fact, what I'm doing is I'm seeking the fruit or the reward that abounds to your account, to your kindness, 
gracious act of giving to your accounts. The reason why I'm saying this is because as you grow in your generosity, it means that you're growing in your spiritual maturity. You're being a mature Christian now. It shows that you are maturing. And as you are maturing now, notice, I'm seeking the profit that's going to come out of your generosity. Here he's seeking the spiritual blessing for other people. Because he knew that as they gave, the Philippians gave, notice what they were doing. They were occurring spiritual dividends in their spiritual account in heaven. Their interest was being compounded. When we give, we're storing up treasures in heaven. We're saying, Lord, we want to invest in your kingdom. In fact, Jesus said it on the Sermon on the Mount this way, Matthew 6, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does that mean? That if, I, if, I, if you give God your heart, you know what's going to follow? Your time's going to follow. If you give God your heart, you said, I gave God my heart and my life, also your gifts will follow. Your treasures will follow. Your resources will follow because God has your heart. And this is wherever you invest in, that's where you know truly your treasure is. So what Paul is saying, I'm seeking the fruit that abounds to your account. I'm seeking that you would know that you're going to be spiritually blessed because you're investing in the kingdom of God. He was encouraged by their maturity. He was encouraged by their development. That you're giving freely. You're giving willingly. You're supporting the cause. This is a self-sacrificial giving was a clear example of their Christ-like love that they were showing to Paul, that they were showing to those that Paul was ministering with. You know what Paul is saying? I know you love me. The Philippian church had a great love for Paul. They had a great love for the Lord. So they willingly gave from the hearts. If giving is an act of worship, you know where it begins? Worship begins in our love for the Lord. It is out of devotion that we give. It's an overflow of us abiding in Jesus Christ. Now know this, Paul is not concerned with gifts as he is concerned with the development in the Philippians. You know what our giving is to do? It has to do with discipleship. It has to do with development. It has to do with obedience. It has to do with fruit. It has to do with us abiding in Christ. And not only is generosity commended, not only is generosity compounded in heaven, but it's also generosity is commanded. Would you note that? It's commended, it's compounded, but it's also commanded. In 1 Timothy 6.17, I want you to write this down. Paul tells Timothy this, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Don't be proud or puffed up or, or proudful because of what you have. Don't trust in uncertain riches. What are uncertain riches? Things that are unreliable. You have something, it can lose its value right away. But trust in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. Everything that you have is from God. For us to be able to give, we have to first understand that we're not owners, we're stewards. And notice this, he says, let them do good. Those that have, let them do good, that they be rich in good works. You want to be rich? Be rich in good works. Abound in good works. Ready to give, willing to share. That's the attitude of generosity. Generosity is commanded. That means that we should be ready to give, willing to share. When it comes a time, an opportunity for us to 
to share, we should be saying, I want to share, I want to contribute. When it comes to an opportunity, when it, when it comes to giving, we, we should say, well, let me give, let me share, let me, let me be able to invest in the kingdom of God that pays out eternal dividends because giving is commanded, giving is compounded, and giving is commanded. The Bible speaks of this in, in Scripture. I pray we all make a commitment, even this year as we're listening to this message. That we would say, Lord, would you stretch us in that? Would you stretch our faith that we would give above and beyond as a step of faith and obedience and be generous givers, that we would do well in this area? You notice what he says, you've done well. Have you done well? I want to ask you that today. Have you done well in this area? In Proverbs 11, verse 24, what does he say? There is one who scatters, Solomon would say. There's a person that scatters, that's willing to share. And what happens to that person that scatters, that's willing to share? He increases more. And there's others that hoard, that, that, that maybe are greedy, that, that withhold more than it is right, but it leads to poverty. You know what happens when you hold on to things? It only leads to poverty. But when you open at your hand to give, you know what it does? It's life-giving and it brings blessing. This is what the Bible says. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also himself be watered. He who waters will himself be watered. Think about that. You want to be refreshed? Then you also be willing to refresh others. Our hearts, if our hearts are open, you know what should be open as well? Our hands should be open, ready to give and willing to share. When you give, you receive an increase. When you hold back, you receive nothing. That's what the Bible speaks of in Proverbs. But notice verse 18, he rejoices over the, the sacrifice of their gift. He doesn't only rejoice over their present gift, over their past gift, not only over the fruit of their reward, but he's rejoicing over the sacrifice of their gift. And he says in verse 18, Indeed, I have all and abound and I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus as things that you sent. Saying, in fact, I want you to know this. I'm not asking for a gift. At the moment, there's three things that he identifies. I have all, I abound, and I'm full. This is amazing here because he's full, his needs are fully met through the generosity of the church. What does he say? I have all. I'm filled to the top right now. In fact, he says, I, I, am, I abound. I, I, it's over the top. And then he says, I'm full. I, I'm overflowing now. I'm living that blessed life because of the generosity of other people. I am refreshed by your giving, he's saying. I have more than what I need. Why? Because I've received from Epaphroditus, from, from that, that messenger, that servant that you sent to me, everything and the financial gift that you gave me. And what is he saying? Through your compassion, through your care, through your sacrificial giving, I have all. I abound. I am full. But then he uses this Old Testament priestly language. And he uses this language to describe giving. He, he, he uses this language that describes the temple sacrifices. When you would come to give a temple sacrifice, notice what it would do. It, the sacrifice had to be pure. It had to be holy. And then you would offer it unto the Lord so that it would be well-pleasing to him as a sweet-smelling offering. It was an act of worship. In the Old Testament, you came, you must give an offering of a pure lamb that had no defects. It was pure. It was undefiled. He begins to pull that language out to give attention to the holy nature. Notice the holiness when you contrast a sacrifice 
that is holy on the altar in the Old Testament and are giving as a sacrifice that is also pleasing to the Lord. This is why now he describes it as a sweet-smelling aroma, an act of sacrificial worship. Verse 18, notice what he says here. Three things that describe our giving. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Three things. First, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. It's an offering that is a fragrant aroma. Our generosity is a blessing to God. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. What does it mean? It brings this aroma because it's a gift that is placed as an offering on the altar. It's something sweet. It brings a good scent. It now brings an aroma that pleases the Lord because then he says, an acceptable sacrifice. Does that mean that there are sacrifices that are not acceptable? Yes, there is. You know what that means? When you give and your heart's not right. When you give and, and you're, not, you're giving more out of obligation, more out of pressure, more out of an ulterior motive, instead of giving with a pure heart, saying, Lord, this is an act of worship. This is unto you, Lord. What it means to be an acceptable sacrifice, that you're giving for the right reason and you're giving the right way. That you're doing it as a pure and holy offering. You're first giving yourself and then you're giving your offering. Do you see that? God first wants your heart and then he wants your offering. So he says, this has become from you unto God a sweet-smelling aroma, something that is, smells so sweet, it's an acceptable sacrifice. You've done it the right way. And notice, it's well-pleasing to God. You know when our giving is well-pleasing to God? When it's done and offered with the correct attitude. When we say, Lord, I want to give this to you as an offering unto you. You're giving to God. It's not a bill. You know what you're giving to God? is It's a sweet-smelling aroma as an act of worship unto the Lord. And it pleases the Lord. This is the heart of God. Now, now he's explaining here that the Philippians' gift was a spiritual sacrifice, notice. What did it do? It pleased the Lord. In fact, they had their testimony that they gave even when they didn't have. Would you write this down, 2 Corinthians 8.1? He speaks to the church of Corinth, speaking of the church of Philippi. And in fact, when Paul was ministering to the Corinthians, you know what he said? I never took an offering from you so that you don't think that I'm asking for your money. In fact, what I did is I received from Macedonia, Philippi, a small church. They met my needs so that I would preach to you the gospel free of charge. You know Macedonia, what they did in 2 Corinthians 8.1? Notice how he talks about them, their testimony, their reputation. It, it, they were known for this. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed in the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, notice this, in great trial of affliction, while they were going through afflictions, while they were going through trials, the abundance of their joy and the deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Even when they were going through trials, even when they were going through afflictions, they abounded and they still gave with joy during that time. For I bear witness that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. What does this mean? That this church, even when they were going through trials, they freely gave, not only according to their ability, what does it say? Beyond their ability, they gave. Now, how is this giving acceptable to God? It's 
when it's done with the right heart, when it's done unto the Lord, and not for any other reason. We're not to give to the Lord because we were expecting something in return. You know what we're giving to the Lord? Because it already belongs to Him. You have to get that straight in your mind. We're giving to the Lord because it already belongs to Him. And it's between us and Him. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret may himself reward you openly. Don't, don't, you don't have to let anyone know. When you do something good, what did he, he called out the Pharisees. He said, every time you do something, you have to blow a trumpet. You want to make an announcement. Look how much I gave. I'm the biggest donor. God does not want you to give that way. You know how God wants our generosity to be? That it would be genuine. That it would be pure. That it would be done in the secret between us and God so that he can receive all of the glory if our life is a Romans 12, 1 and 2 life where our lives are at the altar. You know what's going to be at the altar as well? Our gifts, our resources, our time, our finances, because we've said we are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What does that mean? This is the only reasonable way to respond to God as an act of worship is in our giving to Him. But notice what also he's rejoicing over in verses 19 and 20. Over the promise of God's provision. Over the promise of God's provision. Here, Paul is rejoicing over the promise of God's provision. Not only over the sacrifice of their gift that was at a sweet-smelling aroma, pleasing to God, but also over the promise of God's provision. Here, there's a promise here in verse 19. I think this is a promise that we always think about. We may co-oftentimes, but let's look at it in context. What does it mean? It says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now there's an important word there that connects those verses. It's the word and. You have to look at that word to know this verse is important to look at context. Sometimes we think, well, God's word says that he will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Let me buy the new car, the new house, and spend as much money as I want because he's going to supply my needs. No, it says he will supply your needs. He won't supply your greeds. And notice what it speaks about here. It says, and my God shall supply. This promise is very specific. I want you to know this. This promise is for those that are walking in obedience. This promise is for those that are walking in the will of God. This promise is for those that are submitted and surrendered to God that are depending upon God, that have surrendered their will to His power, content, joyful, being generous. Because he says, because of their worship and because of their sacrificial Christ-like contribution to the ministry and Paul was confident that the Lord would continue to bless them and meet them financially where they were, where their needs were. So he says, and my God, the same God that we give to, my God, this relationship and this trust, because you have put him first. Now, notice that. I want you to pay attention to that. Because you have put him first, he shall supply all your needs. He will provide according to his riches and glory. Why? Because you've put him first. And my God shall supply all of your needs. That word supply means provide. In the Old Testament, we learn and we have a covenant name of God, Jehovah Jireh. 
What does that mean? That God will see to it. The Lord will provide. And all of us know here today that God is faithful to provide. Even when we're unfaithful, he is still faithful. He meets us right where we are. In fact, you may say today, I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet this month. Well, I want you to know God is Jehovah Jireh. He will see to it. And my God is able to supply all of your needs. Because you're putting him first. And notice what he's saying. They would be rewarded for their gift, and God will meet their needs. Don't ever think, this is what he's saying, that if you give to God, you won't have enough to meet your needs. This is why he's telling them this. I want you to know there's a promise, there's a blessing in giving. Today know that there is a blessing when you give. God will meet every single one of your needs. Have you ever found yourself cheating when it comes to giving to God? Maybe robbing God, as the Bible would call it. And you cannot make ends meet. And you try everything you can. You're working overtime. You're making every kind of penny count. You're wanting to do it. And you're striving and you're straining every now account that you possibly can to make things work. And nothing's working out. But then when you start giving to the Lord, what do you see? The Lord starts to abound. And the Lord starts to meet all, every single one of your needs. Why? Because you put him first. He is Jehovah Jireh. He'll never fail you. Because he knows you're walking in obedience. So he's saying here, you can never outgive God. Verse 19, would you write that down today? You can never outgive God. When you give to the Lord, he will meet every single one of your needs. He's faithful to supply them. And how does he supply them? According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I love that he says this word, according to his riches. He doesn't say, and God will supply all your needs through his riches or out of his riches or in his riches and glory. He doesn't say that. In fact, you know what he says? And God will supply all of your needs according. The word according is amazing. What does it mean? in proportion to his infinite resources, not a small amount of his riches in glory. In according, in proportion of what God has, he will, out of his great riches, out of that proportion, he will abundantly supply all of your needs. That's amazing that we can walk with the Lord in, with that type of promise and blessing. Lord, thank you because it is in your will that you would supply for my needs according in proportion to your riches and glory. Out of your resources, according to what you have. Not a small portion out of what he has, but in proportion to what he has. I mean, that, that makes you excited to give to the Lord. Lord, thank you because we can be in this relationship with you and you promise to over and abundant meet every single one of my needs when I'm faithful in the area of giving. It was in Luke 6, verse 38. What did Jesus say? Give, and it shall be given to you. Give, and it shall be given to you. You want to be blessed? Then be a generous person. It will be given to you. And notice how it's going to be returned to you. It's going to be returned good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will put, be put right into your bosom, right in your lap. The, the generous life is the blessed life. I want you to know that. Because God is able to make abound that which you have given. He's looking for your obedience. And it says here, for with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 
with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If these are the words in the Gospels, the words of Christ, with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Someone once said to this, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. Now think about that. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. God will provide for all of our needs. Why? Because we have vision for God first. And when you have God vision, there's also provision. There's provision because you have God first. Where God guides, God provides. As we serve as God's faithful conduits of generosity towards the genuine needs of other people, God will continue to supply everything we need, notice, to also bless others. What does God supply so that we can bless others? You don't want to be that person that, that is a drain. You know what a drain is? That, that, that attitude or the characteristic of a drain in someone's life is all they do is they just take out of people. Just suck the life out of people, right? Every time. But what about a fountain? What does a fountain do? It just gives and gives, and it's ready to share. It's willing to give. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first of your increase, all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Give him the first, give him the best, and your vats, your barns will overflow with new wine. In fact, did you know that in the Bible, it's the very only place in Scripture where God says to test him? In the area of money. It says, test me. Come on, bring your tithes to the storehouse. Bring your offering to the storehouse of God. And find out if I, so that there's enough food in my house. And he says, and try me in this, in Micah, chapter 3, verse 10. Go ahead, try me. You think that you will have enough for your needs? Try me, God is saying right now. Bring, it, bring your tithes and offerings so that there's, the needs of my house are met and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing on your life that you won't even have room to receive it. Think about that. That God is saying, go ahead and try me if I will not meet your needs in a way that you don't even have room to receive it. If you want God's blessing on your enterprise, you know what we need to do? You want God's blessing on your work? You want God's blessing on your possessions, on your finances, on that which he's allowed you to steward in your home? Then put all of that in the hands of God and then he'll bless it. Put it in the hands of God. Let him be first. Give him your devotion. Give him your love. You would say, well, you don't know my situation. What about the women that had only two mites? You know what Jesus said? He looked at her, put those two little pieces of mites in the treasury box and said, she's given more than everyone else. Everyone else gave him proportion of what they had. She gave everything. You know what it showed? Her heart. God is able to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. This speaks not only of contentment, but of generosity, of humility, of submission, of dependence, but most importantly here, of unselfishness. You know what keeps us from giving? Selfishness. We want to take for ourselves. We always say, well, if I give, how much am I going to have left? No, Lord, I'm giving because it, it all belongs to you in the first place. He says in verse 20, now, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Let's say it together, that last word, amen. 
Here is doxology. What does that mean? It means worship. The word doxa is that word glory. Ology comes from that Latin word where we find the word logical. It's the only logical thing to do is to give glory to God now. The only logical thing to do based off God meeting all of your needs is to give him glory and worship. This is the fitting response to doctrine. The fitting response to the truth that we just read is that truth should always produce praise. Remember that today. Truth should always produce praise. Truth should always produce worship. He's saying based off what? We just said, off this doctrine, you know what it does? It evokes out of us, it beseeches us to worship the Lord. Paul's great response here that God supplies all our needs. In a more general sense, what's happening here is he's praising God in the response of the character of who God is, that he's faithful, that he's Jehovah Jireh, that he meets all of our needs, that he deserves all praise because of who he is. He says this in verse 20, Glory forever and ever, amen. Give him honor, and that it would be unending forever, amen. Why is he praising God? Because all of all your needs are met in Christ. You have a reason to praise God today? All your needs are met in Christ? All our needs are met in Christ. We have so much to be grateful for. Lord, thank you that you supply all of the needs. As we put you first, we want to do well. I pray that you do well. You you do it once and then you do it again. You give immediately and that you would give repeatedly unto the Lord and that out of it would come a life of worship. He says, amen, this Hebrew word that means so be it. It's giving affirmation to what has just been said. And notice his final greeting in this epistle. He says this, verse 21 and 23, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me, greet you. Now, I want you to greet every single saint in Christ Jesus. Who are the saints? The church. Those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says, in Christ. Those who identify with Christ, those who have union with Christ Jesus, all the church, those are the saints. Did you know if you put your faith in Jesus Christ today, you're also a saint? Your name is John? You know what they call you? Saint John, right? No, you don't want them to call you that, but that's what it means. What does it mean? It means a separated one. That you're separated from the world for God's holy purpose. That's what a saint is. Separated from the world to God's holy purpose. There was a young kid that was asked one time, do you know what a saint is? And he always thought of a saint as someone that was portrayed on those glass-stained windows. Just thinking about the sunlight coming in through those windows where those pictures of saints were portrayed. He said, yes, I know what a saint is. The saints are those people who let the light shine through them. Think about that. Saints are those people who let the light shine through them. You want to be today really separated for God's holy purpose? If today you are separated as a saint for God's holy purpose, then you are a person that lets God's light shine through you. That's what a saint is. All those who belong to Jesus. And it says, the brothers who are with me greet you. Who are are with? Who is with Paul right there? It was Timothy. It was Epaphroditus. We know for sure. And then he says this, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are in Caesar's household. Wait a minute here. It says, those who are in Caesar's household send you a greeting. There are brethren in Caesar's household in the palace now. 
You remember the first chapter, he says, those in the palace guard are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, this is what he's saying. Those that live in Caesar's house, the gospel has reached them. They have come, become believers. They have now converted into disciples of Jesus Christ. They have committed to faith in Jesus, and they send you their greeting as well. See, we never know why God will take you to certain places, why he will allow certain circumstances, but oftentimes it's because he has a purpose of taking the gospel where you haven't been before. And he says right there where you are, whatever it is, whether it's a classroom that you find yourself in, whether it's an auto shop that you find yourself in, whether it's a bank you find yourself working in, God has made it your mission field. You know what Paul did? He used that mission field so that others can know Jesus Christ. And he says, those in Caesar's household send you a greeting. And notice how he finishes here, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. It's the grace of God to save us, but it's the grace of God we need to sustain us. You needed the grace of God when you came to Jesus Christ to save you. To know it's not of yourself, it's a gift of God. You need God's grace to save you, but you need God's grace to sustain you. What are we to do today? Three things that we learned through this text today. Number one, I want you to do this, look within. Would you write that down, look within? Ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that is stopping the flow of generosity right now in my life? Is there anything in my life from giving above and beyond to God and to others? What is holding back the generosity in my life? Am I, am I a person that lives entitled or am I content with joyful generosity? Look within, ask the Lord, is there something stopping that? Keeping me from giving God my first and my best from releasing those things to God in surrender. What is holding back the surrender within? But then also look around. Look within, look around. Why, why are you looking around? To respond. Sometimes we do not give our time, our finances, our resources, our talents because we're too busy to see the needs. We come to church and maybe you leave and it's, it's a quick interaction instead of knowing there are many needs that can be met in the house of God. There are many needs that can be met wherever you go amongst believers that you can say, I want to be generous. I want to meet this need right now. You would say, I am looking within and then Lord, I want you to show me as I look around. Where are those needs that I can step into? And then after you look within and you look around, then you are invited to look up. And then you can say also, like Paul would say, not to God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what the Lord loves? He loves to receive your praise. He loves to receive your appreciation. He loves to, for you to respond in that doxology. And saying, Lord, thank you because you've given me so much. I want to praise you. I want to bring you adoration because you rightfully deserve it. Know this today, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow returning. God doesn't change. God doesn't fail us. God's always the same. And every gift that you have, every gift that you have, notice this today very carefully, is from God. Can we stand together?